few years ago, my wife and I, we were, um, we've always lived since we were married, really 12 hours from family, and it was in the last days, weeks of her grandfather's life, and John um, had never given his life to Christ, and we were very, very burdened for him, so we I went to the lead pastor of the church I was serving at and said, I need to, we need to leave. We need to go see him. And so we got in the car. We drove. It was really nice. There was no children involved in the driving. Uh, and uh, we drove up, and we went, into his, went there, slept, went into the living room, and we sat with him and began to share the gospel with him, began to tell him of of the universal need for all of us, that we'd, we'd all send and come short of the glory of God, that we needed to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. And he turned and said, and he knew that this was very emotional for us, and I probably we were both crying at this point. And he said, oh, 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 oh hey, don't, don't worry about me. I'm okay. He said, but you know, Years ago, I sent the kids to, and speaking of his, I think they had like 22 kids. No, they had a lot of children. And he said, we, we sent the kids, they went to this church, and this pastor came to our house, and he said, you know, your kids come here a lot, and you don't give any money. And if you don't, you don't give money, basically your kids need to stop coming. And he said, you know, that's when I was done with religion. Money is always a challenging thing for me to talk about because I don't ever want to be that pastor. And so when we talk about living generously, I hope over the next five weeks you don't hear what we're not talking about. We're not talking about putting money in those boxes, although we will freely take it, right? Um, we're, we're, not, we're not talking about that. And, that. and I do believe it is a spiritual discipline of faithful people. God talks a lot about giving money and financial resources to the church. This sermon series is not called Generosity. It's called Living Generously. I think the video we just watched kind of sets it up really well where we're headed. And I bet you a lot of us, more than we know, maybe even today, are like the end scene of a man standing, looking out with a watch, not the greatest gift, not the big, fat, healthy sheep, right, but the stinky, dirty sheep in his pocket, In this moment of conflict, of knowing that I am not doing my best, I'm not giving my best, and I don't know what to do. Now, maybe I'm different than you, maybe you guys are amazing people, but I've been in that place, and to be honest, after the the 15th time of watching that video myself, I came to conflict again in my own heart of, God, am I giving you everything I have fully in honoring you and worshiping you. Living generously, money is a part of that, but there's so much more to living a life of generosity than the money in my pocket and what I give to the church. Today we're going to be reading in Matthew 23, 22, 34 through 40. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Now, this passage is one that if you've been around the Bible or the church, or if this is something new for you, it's one that we commonly talk about because it's this moment where Jesus is going to say, hey, if you could boil the first five books of the Bible together, the law, 
if you could take the Pentateuch, if you could take this first kind of leading document of what has been the founding of the church, and if you could kind of bring it down to two things. Or what he says, if, you know, what is the most important law? Jesus is going to say, what's, what's the most important thing? We call it the, the great commandment. Jesus is going to say, what? love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's this moment where Jesus is going to unveil that this is the most important things. And this morning we're going to unpack what that is. But I, I believe this text is the essence of generosity yet it never mentions money. So let's read Matthew 22, 34 through 40. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, here we go, stinking lawyers, always asking, you know, here they go, causing trouble. Sorry, lawyer in the room. Uh, So you're used to it. So asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, so here, the teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus is going to quote two texts in the, in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch. And he quotes this, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so this is one of those kind of important times like of Jesus speaking. Now, all of it has the same truthfulness. All of it has the same weight. This is that moment when someone boils something down. It's this moment where our ears need to perk up. We need to listen because it has real impact. It has real kind of a truthfulness in it. So I would guess that in this room, that if I said the great commandment, most of us would say, you should love the Lord your God. It's not even if you go to a church thing, I, I don't think. It's this thing we know, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You should love your neighbor as yourself. It's kind of matched in with the treat others as you would like to be treated. We sometimes think that's the great commandment. But it's this kind of thing embedded in us. Yet the reality is we might know the text, We might know the truth, but the question is, are we doing the truth? Do we believe it to the point that the weight in the words of Jesus so fall on us that it changes the day-to-day, the moment-by-moment of our lives, that I genuinely in my life want to love God, and I genuinely in my life want to love others? So the first thing that we see in the passage, in the text, is, is a call to love God completely. It says, you shall love the Lord. Now, words in this are important. You shall love the Lord, boss, master, ruler. Whatever word you want to use kind of in that text to be the one of supreme authority. If, so you shall love the Lord, the one who reigns and rules over all things, the one who every knee and every tongue will confess, that the Lord... You shall love the Lord, your God. Now, this is like imposing a personal relationship. This is an intimate God, our God, my God, the one I can come before. So you shall love the Lord, your God. And that says basically here, with the totality of your personality, completely with everything you have. You shall love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
with all your intellect, that your thoughts are about him, that you think on him frequently and it causes you to ponder the depths of who he is and what he has done for you. Not only our intellect, but he's calling us to, to our emotion. I, I don't know if it, if it is an emotional thing for you to think of someone who came and died for you on the cross. God loved us so much that his son came and took the punishment and took the wrath that was ours on the cross. With my emotion, recognizing that this is something more than just a head thing. This is something that, that, that genuinely makes me emotional to think about the length that Jesus went on my behalf. We're not a church that banks everything on emotionalism. We bank it on the truth of God's word. But if the cross doesn't make you a little bit emotional, then I would say you haven't really fixed your eyes on the cross very well. Because it is a horrific thing that Jesus went through on our behalf and the most wonderful thing that could have ever been done for me in my life. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. He's asking for the totality of who we are. And so, again, another way of saying that is with all of our intellect, with all of our emotion, and then even with all of our will. That in my life, even when I don't feel like it, I know what is true. And I even will my own heart to say, no, heart, don't, don't run toward these other things that you're, you're going to love. But run toward him, run toward his truthfulness, run to, to him with all that you are. And then it says, this is the first and greatest commandment. That we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. For reference, maybe later for you to read this, Romans 5, 6 through 11, if you're taking notes. Romans 5, 6 through 11 is this text that in the book of Romans kind of walks through kind of all that God has done for us. We'll be in another passage in a minute, and it, it's kind of the basis of our doctrine. Some have said that the book of Romans is just, it is the book of doctrine. And really what Romans looks like is Genesis, Romans 1 through 11 is kind of the foundations and the doctrine of the faith. What Jesus has done, how we have been how we were, we were trapped in our sin, we were unable to be rescued from it, and it was kind of overwhelming to us in this world. The, the world was literally groaning in its sin, and Jesus came, and now through Jesus we can be justified, we can be made right before God because of the one who died, we can be sanctified, we can be continuing to grow up in him, changed and transformed more and more, and one day, forever, we will be glorified, that we will be made into his likeness when we see him face to face, kind of Romans 1 through 11. And then Romans 12 and on, it says, okay, because Jesus has changed you, because he is changing you, because he one day will change you, this is what it looks like in every relationship, in every place, in every space of your life. And so in this, what we see in this Romans 5 and 6 and through the book of Romans is we see that God's love for us is causeless. There's no... There, there, we have no reason that he would do this for us. We have not done anything. We have no inherent value in and of ourselves, but he valued us, and he did something for us that he did not have to do. And hear this, in, the, in like our privileged day, God did not have to send his son to die for us on the cross. God did not have to. You aren't as awesome as you think you are, and nor am I. And although you've got a trophy and although we get awards for everything we do, we're really not that great. We are rebels and we are sinners and we have 
offended a very holy, holy God with our sin. And in our sinful state, he loved us so much that without cause, but because of his love, he sent his son to die for us on the cross. His love is measureless. There's, there's no even bound to come to the ends of his love. For all time and eternity, we'll be, we'll be searching the richness of, of his love and his grace. And it is ceaseless. It doesn't ever stop. And this is who God is. And this is what he has done toward us and for us. He has loved us completely in a way that we can't even love our very own selves. A lot of times we might see God as this some sort of of God who is distant in heaven and he's forcing us to do some things for him so that one day we might be with him. He's sort of this kind of pseudo-abusive God making us go against our own will. And I would just propose to you today, God is nothing like that kind of God. He's not an abusive God. He is not forcing you to do something that will harm you. He loves you so much. He loves me so much. He loves us so much that he's pushing us into his purposes. And he's saying, if you love me completely, I will let you explore the depths of who I am, the depths of my peace, the depths of my grace, the depths of my measureless love for you. God is not some distant, angry God. He is a close and personal and kind and gracious God to those who love him and who set their face toward him. We are not some sort of abused people being forced to love someone unloving. God is a loving and kind and gracious God. But see, oftentimes in our lives, we, we live in our Christian faith and the minimum requirements. Think about it like this. When I was growing up, we would often be told to this one task on the weekend. Maybe you were too. My mother would say, boys, go clean your rooms. Have you ever heard this? And we would go upstairs to clean our rooms and I, um, basically, the, the, this is how this works. What is the minimum thing I need to do to pass inspection? I don't know if that was how that worked for you. And so I knew that there were some things that over time, um, this was kind of like my last ditch effort. I knew that under the bed was going to be one of the first places to look. So don't do that. So kids, if you're listening, don't put it under your bed. Your mom's going to look, right? Your dad may not. Like he will just look at it and be like, looks good. I'm out. <clears throat> closet, that's definitely going to get opened, right? Unless they're fearful of what they will find as far as animals and rats and pets and whatnot. But then the dresser drawers were kind of this go-to spot for me that, that I could just stuff stuff inside. And so my, she would say, go up, and I'd just start grabbing stuff and stuffing it in drawers. And, you know, you're like putting your hip against it, trying to get it shut. You got like plates and all kinds of things because you knew if she... If you took the plates downstairs, she'd be like, why is there a plate in your room, right? And so I got plates in my drawer. I got all kinds of stuff. And then inspection time comes, and mom walks up, and she, she looks under the bed. She looks in the closet, and then those slow steps toward the drawers. And you could just, it's like this moment of like, don't, no, stop. She opens the first drawer, and then she goes, what? And, you know, it's like this deep, like, my mom's voice went from sweet and nice to, what is in these drawers? You know, this moment of, and she just starts throwing stuff, right? And, and she's throwing the whole time. It's like, no, 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 mom, leave. Just leave the room. I'll fix it. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Just stop throwing stuff. Ah. It's 
like that busted moment. Maybe you weren't ever there. I just really vividly remember that, obviously. And so I'm a bit traumatized. Um, I need to see a counselor. And so, so in this moment, it was this minimum requirement, but I, I couldn't, right? I, I was caught and I was busted in it. And I, I think in our Christian life, we, we, we do this with the Lord. We, we put things to the side. And we think, well, he can't see this and we can hide this and we can hide that. And if I go to church and if I, if I you know, I guess the Bible says I, I have to be baptized and I have to do this and I have to do this. And if I do all those things, then I'm, I'm good. And I've, I've met the minimum requirement of what God wants. But I say if we live our Christian life like that, I, I'm not sure we've really caught a glimpse of the cross and what has been done for us. And we live our life kind of trying to push things away and hide and do the minimum things that God wants. But just so you know, the minimum thing God wants is you. Not a piece of you, not a part of you. He wants all of you. Not because he hates you and is some sort of abusive God, because he loves you. And what you and what I need most is I need all of him, not a part of him. Not to do minimum things for him, but I need I need renovation, I need restoration, I need reconciliation, I need to be washed, I need to be cleansed, I need to be renewed, I need to be made to look more and more like Jesus. This is the deep need that we have, and he's willing to meet us in this. This is Leviticus 22, 19, and 20. This is, this is the sheep that the man drew on the picture. Is what is it that I want to bring to God? The minimum things or the maximum? The, the healthy, strong sheep or the fat and dirty, or fat, the skinny and the dirty and the stinky sheep. We see the illustration in the video. It's clear. You know, our hearts go, ah. The little boy hands his favorite toy and his favorite plane. The little boy willing to sacrifice his best rather than to pull the old leather band watch out of his pocket and give it to someone. The responses are clear as we watch him in film, but in our own hearts, where have I come to a place in my life saying, I, I want to love you completely because how much you have loved me. How we respond when given the opportunity to be generous displays our heart, our view of God, our love of God, doesn't define our love for God, it doesn't earn our love for God, but it displays what's really happening inside of our heart and our lives. And really, I believe what the scripture calls us to is to simply be people that say, I'm going to give God my best because he's worthy of it. The second thing that we see in the text is not just to love God completely, but to love others compassionately. To love others compassionately. It says, you shall love your neighbor. And then the neighbor, the idea of this is not the person that lives to your left or right or across the street, which they would be included in that. But this is your circle. This is your sphere where you live, where you work, where you play, where you go about life. The, the concentric circles in your life of, of influence and people that you rub up against in the day to day. These people in our lives. It says that you should love your neighbor Right? I can't, it's hard to love people I don't know. So he's speaking into these that you do know, these that are in your life today. He's saying, love them, how much? As yourself. Now, <clears throat> some of you may say, uh, well, you know, this is kind of this weird phrase. When I think what's wonderful about it is God deeply knows us and he knows how deeply we love ourselves. Now, I don't know if you would 
agree that, you know, you love yourself excessively, I could prove to you today how much you do. One way would be you loved yourself enough to get dressed today, right? You loved yourself enough to eat food today. You love yourself enough to really, and some of you ladies loved yourself enough to really get dressed for a long time today. Um, I have a lot of ladies in my house, and so you love yourself enough to do all kinds of things in our lives, not, not necessarily in a wrong way. We, we tend to serve ourselves because we were created to, like, live and go about life. And we're saying, in the way in which you love yourself, love others in that way. Care for others in that way. Walk alongside of others in that way. Don't hold yourself higher than them, but see your life as something that you can love others as much as you love you. Now, with this, we, <clears throat> a few, few months ago, we were, I was in a, in a study with some, some people, and I kept kind of trying to think of, like, why wasn't change happening? Why why weren't the truths of what we were doing kind of impacting kind of where we were headed in our lives? And come in and think, I, I think many times in our lives we see the Bible as, as a disconnected hypothetical. So when we read the scriptures, it's something that's not necessarily in my life, and so it's disconnected from me, and it's hypothetical. Like maybe if one day in my life I were to do that, that's what this might look like. And so it's this thing distant and, and, and possible, but not practical today for me. Rather than seeing the Bible as a connected truth, that this is connected to my life because I've made a commitment, and it's a truth in which I must live my life by. I must kind of submit myself to the Lord and move forward with him in. <clears throat> kind of as we think about living our lives in a, as a disconnected, hypothetical, maybe a way to think about it would be this. <clears throat> maybe you're a high school student. Maybe this is when you were a high school student. And you said, you know, my life really isn't where I want it to be. I'm not making good choices right now, not making the best choices I should. But, but when, I, when I graduate, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing that. Maybe if you were in the church, you were in a place that I'm not living according to the ways of God. But, you know, when I graduate and I go to college, I'm going to change. I'm going to make a difference. And so it's disconnected and hypothetical right now for my life, but it's going to become that connected truth. I'm going to do this. Then you get to college, and it's kind of fun, and life keeps moving. You meet some people, and you think, you know, when I finish college, meet that person of my dreams, then I'm going to do this. And then it's kind of disconnected, hypothetical, and then we just tend to move through life. Maybe, okay, didn't meet that someone, but when I do, or I didn't meet that someone, so when we have kids, or when the kids get older, or when they get out of the house, or then when the grandkids stop coming around all the time, then I'm going to do it, right? And we spend most of our lives pushing truth away as something disconnected and hypothetical to my life, instead of coming to a place of saying, God, your word is something deeply connected to me of who I am because of what you've done for me. And it is a truth in which... It's not really an option for me to live by. I must because of who you are in my life, because you are genuinely Lord, boss, master, ruler over me and my life. Now, the only reason I deeply understand that, and I will say that I've pushed through some of those things in my own life. <clears throat> I mean, how many of you have, have been waiting till, how many of you, um, this is the beginning of the year, um, really kind of failed at your weight loss program already, but Monday right? This Monday, you're going to get after it again, right? And next Monday and next Monday. I mean, this is normal, right? There's all, my life is about Mondays. When Monday comes, we're going to do it. 
I'm going to get huge this year. Like, I'm going to lift. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like I'm 18 again. It's going to be awesome, right? Next Monday, next Monday. We, we, we are used to pushing things down the road. <clears throat> the most dangerous thing you'll ever push down the road is your faith. The, the most dangerous thing you'll push down the road. Because you, you might die because you're not in good health. But at least you'd, you'd die knowing Jesus if you put your faith first. It is the most detrimental thing that we will not focus on in our lives. Our faith, obedience to our Father, there is nothing more important. And it is the most dangerous thing to push down the road in our lives. And I think, I think the scripture is with me on this. I think the more we push it down the road... We sang it this morning. If you wait until you're ready, you will never come at all. Our hearts, the more we push it away and the more we push it away, our hearts become harder and harder and harder. And it becomes harder and harder and harder to obey. The source of truth, the source of, of, of action on our life is from God. Romans 12.1 says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Romans 12.1, the transition of the book, it starts out and it says, now because of what he has done, now because of all that Jesus has done on your behalf, now not a lamb, not a bull, not a goat, Jesus has sacrificed, it's done, there's no more sacrifice that needs to be made for your sin. Now, because of the sacrifice that has been made for you, all that I'm asking, what I'm asking is for you. For all of you, for all that you are, I want your life. And our response, because of what he has done, is my life, my body is yours. And I want to be holy and acceptable before you because of what you have done for me. I want to worship you, not just in songs as I gather together, but I want to offer my life, my body, all that I am to you in the day-to-day, in the moment-by-moment, because, God, you are worthy of it, because what you have done on my behalf through the person of Jesus Christ. Connected truth is simply this, that Jesus loved God completely by going to the cross to die for us and loved us compassionately. And our response might it be, help me, help me as I have been loved to love others and to love you. So third and last is a call to love from commitment. The commitment, and it says, on these two commandments, love God, love compassionately, depend all the law and the prophets. There's a passage that helps us understand from this commitment, and all the law and the prophets, right? Uh, depend all the law and the prophets. It's these two commandments, why is this? Well, God has always wanted the same thing for humanity from the beginning of time. There's a widow in Mark, in Mark 12, Mark 12, 41 through 44. And there's this moment where people are, they're in the temple and people are bringing offerings and there's people that have abundance and they're giving out of abundance and giving large sums of donations at the temple. And there's this widow, she comes into the temple and it says she gives two mites. And she puts these two mites in and it says it's all of her possessions would have equaled maybe a penny. And they said, which is the most valuable? And see here, it's not about money. 
And that's never what it's been about. God wants us, the whole of who we are. And all those gifts, maybe they were honorable, maybe they weren't. But that one gift, that widow, what God had wasn't her money. He had her. She loved him more than anything else, more than her riches, more than her little bits of money. The widow's offering was something that was wonderful because she had a contrite and devoted heart to God. It wasn't amount, it was heart, it was trust, it was devotion, it was that God was truly first in her life. In the film that we watched this morning, Frank, at the end, again, he was looking out with a bit of conviction, feeling this tension inside of his heart of where should I go and what should I do. Over the next five weeks, we're going to go on a journey of what it means to live generously. And again, as I started at the beginning, this isn't just about money. This is about being a kind of a defining character with my time, my talents, my resources, the totality of who I am. And I'd like to ask you to go on the journey with us. Come as much as you can over the next five weeks and make this one commitment this morning, that whatever God asks me to do, I'll do it. Simple. Maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's two things. Maybe it's three. Maybe for some of you, it's going to be ten. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever God asks me to do, I'm going to do. Because I think most of us, whether we fill out surveys or not, are like, man, standing, looking out. Not, I don't think, as his riches or his treasures, but looking inwardly at his heart. And when he saw such a great sacrifice of the most valuable possession of his son, he thought, I need to make some changes in my life. And so whatever God asks you to change, will you commit? Whatever he asks you to say, will you commit to say, God, I'm going to do whatever you ask. Now, just so you know, that's a great rule of thumb. Maybe that could go beyond the, these five weeks. Whatever God asks of us, it's always good to say, I'm in, I'll do it. But especially in regards to living generously, when he is asking us to maybe make some adjustments and make some changes in how we spend our time, how we spend our resources, how we spend our service and our other things that we do in life, will you commit with me? And I'm committing to this along with you. As God asks of me, I'm going to do it. Will you commit with me to that end? All right. Let me pray for us. Father, we... We believe, we believe that you sent your one and only son into this world to, to die the death that we deserved, that we might have the life that you created us to live. Or we believe that, that our sin, our shame, and our guilt, that Jesus bore the weight of it and the punishment of it on the cross. We believe that his blood was poured out to cover all of our sin. We believe that, God, you loved us so much that you sent him. We believe that eternal life is found in him and life is found in him. Lord, help us to move out of the, the silly game of minimum requirements and help us to, to give all of ourselves to you and that our, our lives would show that we are your servants by, 
by reciprocating in, in small ways the generosity that you have shown us. And so, Father, in these moments as we sing this song about your grace, about your love for us, help us to worship you, but also help us to consecrate ourselves to you and, and maybe say, Lord, whatever you ask, whatever you say, Lord, we will do. Help us now as we sing, lead us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand, and as you stand, we're going to sing. And as we sing, these altar steps are open for you to come and kneel and pray. Maybe for you, God has already spoken to you. There's something that today he's already said that you need to do. You need to let go of. You need to grab a hold of. You need to act upon. A great way to take initiative is to come and kneel and to pray. And ask God, can consecrate, saying, God, I'm going to do this. But maybe, just as always, there's a struggle or a trial or something that you need to just come down and, and pray about right here. Whatever God is asking, these altars are always open for you to come and pray. But will you with me, as we sing, as we do this, worship him and commit our lives in greater ways.